0: Listening to The Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii. I'm your host, Joe McGarry. Our guest today is Charles Konishiro, the president and COO of G70. Charles specializes in the planning and design of educational and institutional facilities. He successfully guided projects from programming, master planning, design, and construction. A former high school math and chemistry teacher, Charles has taught in both public and private schools. As one of the first LEED accredited professionals in Hawaii and 2007 to 2009 Green Schools Advocate for the USGBC Hawaii chapter, he's a passion for designing sustainable buildings that improve the health of occupants and reduce our carbon footprint. Charles joined G70 in 2000 and was named a principal in 2005. And this year, uh G70 has been selected as one of the best places to work by Hawaii Business Magazine. So I want to first of all welcome Charles Kanashiro to our podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me, Joe. No, it's such a pleasure to get to get you all to ourselves to chat with you for a short while. First of all, congratulations again on being voted one of the best places to work in Hawaii there's some pretty cool places to work in Hawaii. What is it that G70 does, do you think, that has you consistently voted a great place to be?
1: Well, you know, our we consider our staff the foundation for what we do. And we just, we can't do the work we do without our amazing staff. And we have a tremendous group of people. Um, we've and so we value them, we value them, and we value not only them, but we value their families. And, um, we, we just, we, it's our 50th anniversary this year. So, you know, having been around that long, we had this long set of values that we've always said we're a values driven firm. We had, but it was 11 values. And quite honestly, even the principals couldn't remember all the 11. <laughs> so we decided to relook at it and, okay, what do we narrow it down to? And we basically landed down to aloa kiakua, which is love of God, um, uh, and we interpret that in different ways. You know, you know, we have different people of different faiths in our in our firm, um, or no faith, but still a understanding of that. There's a spirituality in Hawaii. I mean, we can't we can't ignore that, right? Um, love of family, um, uh, love of the land and then love of your fellow human being. And so those four are sort of our foundational principles, but really important to that is love of family when we talk about the firm and how we treat our employees. So we've always tried to make it an extremely family-friendly place. Uh, For instance, there just yesterday there was um, my uh, neighbor, and we just have an open office, so I don't have an, my own office, I just sit with everybody else. But my project manager sits next to me and his daughter was hiding under his desk doing homework. And I'm like, oh, hi, Maya, you know. And that's quite typical. Um Sometimes we have uh furry friends that are walking around in the office and it's just part of our culture of having, you know, allowing the flexibility. Okay, my daughter is off from school early and I don't have a sitter and just bring them in or the flexibility to leave office when they have a May Day program or there's a performance. And I think if you ask all our employees, they'll say, well, the flexibility, I mean, in today's schedule, right, with kids and events and sports, being able to just take off and, okay, I'll call you later about that or I'll handle it this evening. And they're so responsible that we don't even think about it. I mean, there's no nobody watching over their shoulder. There's no check in and check out we just say oh yeah take off see you later and you know we know that they'll get back to me later about whatever it is we're working on
0: so with, within that culture then there's a tremendous amount of respect and trust it's not just about flex time and people having time off it's what i'm hearing you say is there's a deep mutual respect there between your expectations of your employees and what you believe they will do um absolutely that's obviously reciprocated
1: Absolutely. So it, it's a really a, a deep sense of trust that has been built over time. I, I mean, there's, I've been there 21 years at G70, and I'm like sort of in the middle in terms of years of service. Like my administrative assistant has been there longer than me. Um, our, our controller has been there longer than me. Um, there's, Many people that have been there l- longer than me, so it's sort of this trying to create um, both trust by okay, how can what can the company do for you, and then it's reciprocated by employees saying, "Well, gee, I'm I'm going to stay here and you know really dedicate um, efforts to you know meet the needs of the project or whatever we're working on."
0: You are particularly mentioned and known as being a great place for women to work as well. And and I think not just because I'm a woman, but it, I'm interested in this because, you know, women are still struggling with, you know, childcare care and, and hours issues and, you know, certain things that, you know, still go on in the workplace. What is it particularly? I mean, do, do you have certain things that you, you do for female employees that you think they can't find in other places?
1: Um. Well, we really support women, and and I think it started with uh, one of our former presidents, Cheryl Seaman. She was president uh, for about a decade in the '90s, and at that time, we did some research. She was the only woman president of a firm of our side in the country, of our size. So, right there, it I kind of spoke volumes about you know our leadership and belief in. In women and, um, their importance to the workplace. Um, my predecessor in the president's role was Linda Mickey, and she, <laughs> I was another woman. So, and she also sort of was a trailblazer in, um, in her time as well. Um, I think one of the things we've really tried to do is, well, the flexibility, especially if you're a working mom and being able to take off and support your kids. I mean, that's huge for any mom that you don't have to be tied to a desk. And so we, even our technology now is one where I can be anywhere in the world. And so for women, you know, I'm fixing dinner. I'm, you know, whatever, but I my computer is there. And okay, um, especially during the pandemic time where moms have also had to teach at home. Um, So we often have moms and, you know, like, okay, Johnny, that's, you know, stop hitting your sister. And then, okay, well, I'm back on, you know, Zoom or whatever it is. Um, allowing that technology flexibility has been huge. Um And then when our moms are having, you know, children, we really try to be as flexible as possible. Um, so obviously, you know, they're guaranteed to, you know, have a job. We maintain that job for them. But we've also allowed for them to, sort of transition back at their own timetable. Um, I have one of our key architects out right now, and she called me and said, okay, well, you know, how is this going to work? I mean, i I really loving being a mom. The three months is up. I, you know, do I need to come back? She says, no, it's whatever you want to do. She says, really? And she, she said, you want to start working from home for, you know, one day a week? That's fine. You want to start working two days a week? That's fine. It's whatever you feel is... Um, it works best for you. So she kind of laid out her schedule and I said, great, we'll work around it. So for her, she really appreciates that flexibility in allowing her to sort of call her shots and how she transitions back.
0: I think if there's one thing that COVID has taught us, it, it is that we can be flexible and we can multitask at a very high level. Um, working from home has been something that, not many of us thought we would enjoy quite so much and i'm sure within your field this is going to translate into architectural design i mean the first thing that comes to mind is offices right and i have to thank you because you designed the office that i work in when i go to work at cbre <laughs> every day you designed our our 365 office which was quite uh, cutting edge um when you guys finished it and it is a sheer pleasure to work in that environment um environmentally the places we are in the spaces we use the 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 footsteps we take through buildings really do affect us and when you first started in architecture it seems to me that right from the beginning you realized this I mean you didn't become passionate about biophilic design like five years ago you have always known or believed that the the Meeting of nature and buildings and architecture and design in line with our surroundings is really critical to how we are to kind of move on as as human beings. Yeah, I I think
1: intuitively as humans we we, knew, we know that. But in actuality the industry didn't know that before. Um when I started in architecture, even the idea of green buildings was quite foreign. Um you know, we went through this, with this modernization age where the idea was to put up buildings as fast as possible, throw in a bunch of air conditioning, and that's what you do, right? There's no thought to energy efficiency. And, um, I was part of the original, uh, uh, sort of, uh, it was called the Committee on the Environment by the EIA and the Architecture Association. And there was probably like eight or nine of us, and we felt like we're no one was listening. Owners didn't care. Even fellow architects didn't care. There was just a very small group of people like, and we, we reminisce about it today because there's a number of us are still around. Remember those days when, when we were no talking one listened? and no one was listening. Um, and it's obviously changed. And now I think people are aware and conscious that, you know, particularly green buildings are important. But the latest, I think, move in, and you're seeing a lot more momentum is about biophilic design. And it's not only about being energy efficient, but um, being able to interact and connect with nature in our environments. And that is, I think, people are starting to realize it, but it feels like it's on, like green building. It's sort of in the beginning, and there's not quite um, wholesale, I guess, recognition that is important.
0: It's so interesting to me because we know just as as people That if you walk into a room that's filled with plants, or if you walk into an office where you can hear running water, or the, you know, water running over pebbles, we just know instinctively that we feel better. We don't know why we feel better, perhaps, but we just know we do. It's surprising to me that there's still, that biophilic design is still on that kind of the edge and not being accepted by everyone because you put children into an environment where there's water and clean air and green things growing. And they thrive. I mean, let alone when you put adults in there. Yes. Why why, why is it so hard for people to get this in (laughs) in architecture?
1: Well, I think there's been a... I don't know if it's a misconception or it's just that, okay, well, landscaping or whatever, that costs money. And that takes maintenance. And there may be bugs and worms and other things and critters. And, uh, oh, jeez, you know, putting a tree... In front of that, you know, it's just going to drop rubbish all the time, or
0: in the middle of a classroom, like at Iolani, for example.
1: Yes, well, and and so changing the dialogue and 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 thinking that okay, it's not only is it important, but it's vital to human health, um, to human well-being, and I think the the move towards wellness and well-being is a conversation is is becoming more mainstream. Um, and now in, in addition to green buildings, there's the, I don't know if you've heard of the well system. You know, so we're evaluating buildings now are, not only are they inefficient, energy efficient, but do they promote human wellness on the inside? And, um, I know there are, we know we're in the beginning because there hasn't been any well certified buildings in Hawaii yet. There are some that are on, that are on the path, but that tells you that it's coming, but it's not, been fully adopted yet
0: it's i i guess we have to be grateful that it's coming but let's talk about one one of of your beautiful architectural designs where i think this is illustrated so easily for people to see um what you did at hanama bay i think the the integration of hanama bay and and its mission and its importance i mean globally you know that that bay is of global significance and how you brought together what what is vital to the ocean to survive and how people feel now when they walk in um to me it it, if i had to show somebody what you do i would show them that Hmm. how how much resistance did you get in in creating that and and tell us about it
1: yeah well that project is probably 20 years old now um and back then, I, I don't think there was a consciousness in the public mm-hmm. realm about, you know, particularly that building. And there, there, I mean, I have, you know, I wasn't involved in it personally, but my partners who were, um, I mean, they lost a lot of sleep over that project because there was so much community opposition yes. to what they felt was going to be a desecration of um the bay um and not understanding the approach to the project was to respect the bay for what it is and not only the bay but um the you know the crater rim has significance to native hawaiians and so obviously the idea was to not build a building but to to un to take all part of the earth put the building inside and rebuild the earth so we preserve the crater rim I mean, at that time, I don't think people. There was no, there was no. Oh, okay, it's going to look like that. But
0: right, there was no precedent for it. There's In no fact, it, it's a bit Tolkien-esque yes. when you look at it. You know, it looks like it could have come yeah. from the Hobbit or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Um, but the result of it, after going through all these battles, and there were many community, much community opposition, is I'd say that. Mo. From my understanding, most of all the community opposition leaders came back and said, we're sorry. This is exactly what needed to happen. And there was a complete adoption of that as, this is the right response. Um, and it's not a response, I think, that maybe was, certainly it's not textbook, but it was the right response for that location. And you, you don't look around and like, where's the building, right? <laughs> you can't really see it
0: it's just beautiful and it stood the test of time because i think when you look at it today you you don't even imagine it it was built that long ago it's just it it's immersive it's beautiful it is is exactly um how that kind of design i think reflects what i think what again what people want they don't know they want it but you show it to them and they do if you had to pick something that either you're working on now uh something in progress or something that you've done that to you, speaks enormously to people who are just trying to wrap their heads around biophilic design and how important it is. Which one of your projects would you choose?
1: Well, I think you mentioned it briefly. At Iolani School, we did um, a new kindergarten, first grade. It's called the Iolani uh, K-1 community. And, um, you know, as architects, we often talk about biophilia in the sense of bringing the outside in. You hear that constantly. In almost every situation, It's the solution is to provide large glass windows that allow you to see an outside space and see the landscaping. But at Iolani, and again, this is a credit to the leadership and the vision there was we want this to be about biophilia. So it started with creating a natural playground, um, a playground made of Uh, almost no plastic or mitt. I mean, it's basically all wood out of tree. Uh, We had to take down two trees, so we took the logs and made them into climbing apparatuses. Uh, Stone, grass, uh, and dirt and sand, that's it. Um, And then the classrooms all surround that space, but not only do they have windows to it, but we've brought in a garden into the middle of the space. Uh, And that in itself, I think, is quite innovative and maybe a first of its kind, you bringing an outdoor space into the inside of the classroom hasn't been done, I mean, to my knowledge here, and rarely has it been done. I mean, I've seen in the world in other examples. So I think that one is sort of setting a precedent um, in many ways and hopefully continues to change people's mindsets that biophilia is important.
0: It's important, and I hope that the more people see the evidence of what you've been doing your entire career, the more they'll realize that it's just a natural way. And as you said earlier, vital to our health. The environment that we live and work in is really, we should care about it more than we even know. You know, we I knew this would happen, but we've kind of run out of time speaking to you. And honestly, I could sit and talk to you for the next hour about what you do. We haven't even scratched the surface of the work at G70, and it's hard to do in just a short 20-minute podcast, but suffice to say, I think we're so lucky to have you here in Hawaii. Your work is incredible. We wish you so much success moving forward. And perhaps you can come back in another time, maybe in six months or so, and we can talk a little bit more about what projects are on the horizon and probably, interestingly, how you see us moving forward in this post-COVID-19 world, because I'm sure as architects, you're going to have a lot to think about in redesigning.
1: I'd love to come back. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much. Charles Kaneshiro is the president and COO of G70. Uh, You have been listening to The Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii. Join us next time for more stories of Hawaii's business.